How often have you walked into a room and forgotten why you're there in the first place? When was the last time you looked up or made a note about a habit you wanted to start, only to never look it up again? What skill did you most recently decide to polish, just to make an excuse when it came time to buckle down? Welcome to the Just Dumb Enough podcast. I'm your host as always, Colton Petrie, and I'm guilty of all of the above very recently. My guest today is Dr. Connor Hogan. The good doctor is the world's leading neurosociopsychologist in the field of high performance. And that title tells you most of what you need to know for credentials. The world. How many people get to a point in their life where they can be graded on such a grand stage? I'm certainly not there yet, despite some kind words from people who enjoy the show. But taking the lessons from today and actually trying to better ourselves is the whole point of the conversation. It's a chance to grow, optimize, and refresh, no matter your age or situation. Let's hold each other responsible for getting refocused and sticking to it. Welcome to the show, Dr. Connor Hogan. Hey, Colton, how are you? I'm doing great. How are you? I'm fantastic. Thank you for asking me and thank you for receiving me and having me here. I'm delighted. Yes. Thank you so much for being on the show. Why don't you introduce yourself for the audience? Well, um, I suppose first off, I perhaps have a funny accent. I'm in the west of Ireland right now and I'm born here and therefore the accent Um I'm the world's leading neurosociopsychologist when I put that into high performance, that is, because I've dealt with, uh, in the past, many high performers, such as professional athletes, uh, musicians, um, CEOs, and entrepreneurs. Awesome. And I think the accent is great. I prefer it over mine. Well, I actually don't have an accent here. (laughs) So it's... um, yeah, look, accents are different, but that's uh, one of the beauties of the differences in people, isn't it? Right. So that title, though, sounds like you went through quite a lot of schooling and training. Yeah, quite a lot. Um, I originally started, believe it or not, professionally as a teacher. And so many years into that, I was still single and still actually putting in my extracurricular work, as they say, in the schools over here with regard to studying in the evenings and working the evenings, coaching and so on. And so I continued to just upskill and educate myself. And yeah, here we are. Yeah. And what brought you to do this? Like what, what drove you to where you are now? So basically when I was younger and I'm a little bit older now, I'm in my forties. So when I was younger, I played a lot of sport. I was a big, tall guy, six foot four, athletic and had good skill, uh, good ability, and was playing far beyond my years, essentially, as a teenager. I was playing at the top level of uh, senior, what we call it here, adult level. And so, essentially, it all went pear-shaped, it all went wrong, late teens, and I had an underlying spinal issue that nobody could kind of define or figure out what it was or why I was kind of not performing to my best. But... I realized that even though I had to go on the journey with regard to figuring out what was wrong with my spine, why I was getting all of these injuries and sicknesses and so on, that there was a mind-body connection. And so when I started going what's called the alternative route or what was called the alternative route of medicine back then, and now more so it's the complementary route, I discovered a lot of um, linkages between the body and the mind, the brain and so on. And I was fascinated with it all. But for me, it was always that as well. You know, even when I was growing up, there was, you know, I grew up in a a very sporting background. Again, not just playing it myself, but we also had a golf course, believe it or not. When I was 12, 13 years of age, we started off what's called a par three golf course. All of the 18 holes were par three. There was no par fours or fives. And so it was a tricky, challenging golf course. And I worked in that. And so, again, golf is a very mental game. And so you had a lot of perhaps ex-athletes in other sports that came 
to our course because it was the only one around for miles and miles where there was, you know, like a starter golf course as such because it was a par three and it wasn't, it didn't have the par fours and par fives. And so you begin to see how even though top athletes come in, some might be great at it and others might just be completely useless. And because it's not just about the style of the sport that you played, you know, if you had a something that you grabbed or held onto like a hockey stick or what we have here in Ireland, which is a hurley, uh, a different type of game. Hurling, we call it. And I know you guys <laughs> refer to hurling as a different thing over there. But uh, so that, you know, again, it's, it's to do with sticks in your hand and swinging and so on just like golf, but not necessarily would it mean that a person is gifted at golf. And so that's where the mental game comes in. So I was always fascinated by that growing up as well. Yeah. I mean, that definitely sounds like you were a bit forced to put some time into this where you're like, I had to, had to take a break physically and like, you know, really focus on what, you know, my mental state was doing for me and what it could do. Yeah, and this is, you know, as I say, this is like 20 odd years ago. So this is before even the term mental health came into the reckoning or became very popular as it is now. And so it was just literally, you know, why am I not thinking this way like, you know, other graduates should be doing? For example, I didn't go to college straight after school. I would look back right now and say that of, I think it was 180 boys and I was in an all boys Catholic school. I was the only one that didn't apply to college in my final year. And I put that back to just awareness, you know, to make it simple. And I do think that had something to do with the, the issues, the condition I had at the time. Um, I don't for one minute say that I was depressed or anything like that. I'm far from it, but it definitely makes you think differently. And there's a, a whole lot of difference between being, you know, clinically depressed and, flying high and you know, as if you'd won the lotto. So somewhere in between is what certainly a 17 or 18 year old should be, or a little bit, you know, a little bit brighter than that. So again, it was all very fascinating to me. And it was later on as I began to recover and feel better physically a few years later that I, I could begin to kind of compare myself to my peers and how I felt and how I thought about things as well. I mean, I think that's probably a really hard part about being, you know, a teenager is like you do compare yourself to all of your peers quite a lot for better or worse. Absolutely. And it's funny because as I was entering into teaching in my early 20s, I did a lot of youth work and I actually started up a lot of youth cafes, which were becoming very um, needed and required over here. And so that was like, again, using this term extracurricular, that was there for young people to be able to kind of socialize in more so than actually do any academic work. So they could play pool or snooker or hang out, just drink coffee, just have their own space as such. And again, you noticed that, you know, like you just say, all the young people at the time, and of course now and, and forever, that it's so important what your peers are saying, doing, um, what their opinions are of you. And, and we look at nowadays with the internet and social media, which wasn't around, obviously, when I was younger, wasn't even a thing you could think or imagine, really, at the time. But now it's so fast. Everything is so instantaneous. It's such a different world. Yeah, everything is extremely fast-paced now, where it's like, if I can't get you know, my result immediately, then I don't even know if I want to put in the work for it. Well, that's it. And that's what happens. It rewires our brain. So the difference between, for example, a young person who might be listening or watching right now, who say, for example, 20 years of age and somebody who's even my age, in their 40s, I believe is vastly different than the difference between a 20 and a 40 year old, say 20 years, 40 or 40 years or 60 or 80 or 100 years ago, simply because of what's going on with regard to how much the younger people uh, rely off the technologies and the digitalization of socialization in comparison to an older person. And again, the difference between, I think, say a 40 year old and a 45 year old can be massive. And again, if we compare it back to say a hundred years ago or so in the way, say 40 year olds are kind of closer to 20 year olds with regard to socializing online and leaning on everything that's being said online as being truth or 
expecting, like you said, things you press a button and things are instantaneous. Whereas a 45 or 50 year old certainly would be a little bit more different because if we rewind back 20, 25, 30 years of years ago in the mid 90s, early 90s, there was no internet. And so there was no dependence on it. And anything we have as human beings that we depend on and we begin to realize that, hey, this is a basic need of mine or we think it's a basic need, we lean on it and we think, well, you know, this is normal. Uh, if we look at a guy called Abraham Maslow, um, he looked at the basic human needs. And this is really big in psychology, but essentially your basic needs are what we need to you know, keep warm, keep uh, fed and just survive from one end of the day to the next one. And then we go to another part of the hierarchy where it's like uh, they're more wants and desires. And so the thing is with this technology as created and all as it is, and it allows people to work from home as we've seen in the last couple of years, if you depend on it and it goes, and here in Europe where I am in Ireland, we have a lot of beautiful Ukrainian people coming in at the moment because unfortunately you've got a war between Ukraine, Russia and so on. And so we're not too far away and we're all in, under the EU umbrella, the European Union umbrella. And so you've got like a lot of people that are coming in. And so there's, there's again, there's huge changes and, you know, they're trying to communicate uh, overseas. And again, talking about being instantaneous. I mean, the world is a very different place, even in the last couple of months. It definitely is. And, you know, there's things, I guess, for better or worse, right? We've got the internet. It helps us learn things certainly faster than like, even when I was a kid, the internet technically existed. Uh, it was around and I remember like dial up and everything like that. But if you wanted to learn something, like you still had to go find a book on it or take a class on it or something like that. Whereas now people are just, you know, you go on YouTube and you learn to become a woodworker. Yeah, it's crazy. And I mean, you're right. The the most complex things to learn are broken down now in the most simplistic fashions. And it's just crazy because I was just thinking today, actually, how initially when I went to college at 17, 18, I think it was actually 19 because I took the year out, as I said, and I was working. And so when I went there, I did realize that I had to learn this. Uh, I think it was um, uh, it was C, C plus or C minus language or whatever else it was, you know, and uh, dots and ones and twos and this kind of thing, zeros, ones and twos. I think it was like basic computer language. And I was like, what am I learning here? You know, what is this? And we had to learn that literally almost like a person has to learn music in the old fashioned way. So it was very difficult, very technical when it wasn't relatable to like a smartphone right now or an iPhone where you can actually just play around with it and get the joy out of it. And it was just a series of zeros and ones and all of this on a piece of paper. And it was like, well, why are we learning this? You know, where is this? And, and, and so nowadays you, you have templates for everything. So they look after all of that basic learning. And that's I think that's really fascinating as well with regard to how we think as human beings. Because if we look back, say, at the pyramids and how they were built, like we wonder how the heck did these guys do it? Like they didn't have a calculator. They certainly didn't have computers. They had no internet. How did they get the measurements so correct and profoundly correct? Because if we compare to buildings in the last you know, 100 years or whatever else all around the world, many of them, wouldn't even um, survive a small wind or something compared to what these things have survived. And so it's fascinating how human intelligence and the way we think is going definitely to evolve and is evolving as we speak. It's, it's incredible. Yeah. And I mean, that's one of those that, like you said, if, if these things just disappeared suddenly, we'd be in a way different place. And yet it's somehow familiar because at one point we figured out how to build the pyramids, right? Like that was just a knowledge that was there is they're like, yeah, we can cut and shape these blocks. We move them. However we move them. I'm not going to pretend to know that, you know, and then we lost all of that information. And even today we're like guessworking at things where we're like, I'm pretty sure this is how they did it, but we're building skyscrapers. And if we suddenly lost all internet connection and the ability to travel around the world, like, that information would die out to an extent as well. Well, yeah, I mean, what I was getting at earlier on with regard to that, like, hopefully it won't happen, but there's a huge threat here in Europe, certainly in Ireland, with regard to electricity outages. And even if we pull the plug, pardon the pun, but if we do, 
for like a couple of days at a time, you can imagine the changes in businesses, in lives, teenagers that are going to be snarky and narky and unhappy at the best of time because of their hormones are going to be like, well, what's this? You know, my need, my, my, as I see it, my water, my food, my drink is being cut off here. And so again, the human being has to adapt though. We look at 2020 and what happened and we would never have predicted that even a week beforehand. And we saw the commotion, especially online with a lot of videos. And this happened in every mature country where people started buying toilet paper for respiratory disease. So it didn't make any rational sense. And that's where our brain then kind of changes and we start thinking with our ancient type of brain. But like you say, it's an ancient type of brain. So therefore, if we've built the pyramids, we have to be able to get into that way of thinking again in another way of uh, adapting. And that's what um, has been said is one of the greatest abilities. It's the person who can adapt to all of the changes that would get ahead in the end. Yeah. So how do you get people to kind of embrace that? You're like, look, you know, things might get hard, whatever you're doing, you might have to learn a lot to do it. How do you get them to like embrace, you know, that need for change? Yeah, I think it's a brilliant way of looking at it and asking about it as well, because when I look at as a teacher, right, when I look at the school system and here in Ireland, our school system is not a hundred miles different or a hundred billion ways different than you guys. Uh, it's quite similar. And I remember looking at some research a couple of years back, for example, if I backtrack for a second, and it was all about um, becoming permanent uh, as a permanent teacher or educator, or uh, you guys have a different term for it, I know, but essentially to get that contract for life. And it was so interesting. They looked at the social problems in the US and they were interviewing all the young people and um, if there was gangs on the streets or whatever else, or the dropout rate and all of that. And they thought for many years that it was the neighborhoods that were the problems or the upbringing of the families with regard to why there were so many dropouts or why they weren't attaining academically. And then what they realized after a lot of research and a lot of kind of looking at it from different angles that no, it was to do with the tenorship, the actual permanency. So when teachers generally, human beings get, even though they're educated and they're educators, when they get to a certain level, they stop wanting to grow. And so they become demotivated. They become demotivated because if we look at, say, for something like teaching, it's a fantastic career. However, many times a teacher isn't uh, given the impetus to improve, to want to improve or to upskill or whatever, because if you have a permanent job and you know the curriculum and if it's basic enough stuff, when you've come to a degree level or whatever else and you're teaching you know, somebody that's 10, 20, 30 years younger than you and they're just getting the fundamentals of the subject in many ways, you can learn it and, you know, you know it inside out and it's rehearsing it and so on and so forth. And so it, it, people begin to stop growing. And that's just, for example, a, an example. And why I come to that example is because I think we need to get into the school systems and we need to look at the subjects and what we're teaching people insofar as we have to go, well, the real world, you know, first of all, financial management, is that thought? No, it's not. Um the real world has to link with the classical subjects better. And we have to look at, you know, coding, uh, which is coming into schools. But why are we coding? Like, why do we need to think differently? What is the future? For example, Web3. Web we hear little bits here and there about Web3. And then if you kind of try to pin it down and ask people, what exactly is Web3? You might get one or two answers. But no one knows specifically what it is. And like you said, you can refer back to the dial-up connection and the internet and all of that noise that was going on. It took it like five minutes to get on the interline, interline, interweb, yeah. interweb, the internet even. And so from there, you kind of, you might be able to Google one thing or Yahoo one thing or MSN one thing at the time. And you got there and then you were like, just completely exhausted. And it was like, this thing is like hassle. It's not fun. And now we can just take out our phones and bang. You know, we get within split seconds, so much information, so much knowledge, so much scrolling. But what's Web3? What is the difference? And so we have to start looking at this within our education system and not just in high school, but also, I think, fundamentally prior to that in elementary and start looking at things. And I think even philosophically speaking, we need to start you know, asking children, like, what is it all for? What is the Internet for, for the average user? What is that all for as well? 
Yeah. And is that something, you know, that maybe we need to be teaching? I don't know if we are because I have no teaching background, but like just teaching children, you know, a bit more patience and resilience in like in the face of an obstacle, like it's going to take a minute because, you know, they're, they're being raised to literally instantly have everything. But if you like took that resource away from them, they're like, I could do this so much faster. Like you hand them a book they're going to lose their minds because they're like, I could do this faster without this book. Absolutely. And I can remember not too long ago where I would give projects out for children or young people. And I'd say, hey, you know, you got to do this, you got to do that. And exactly like you said, the, the first thing that came to mind was, I'll just Google it. But then you kind of explain to them, well, when I was younger, there was no way. So you had to actually physically go to the library. You had to actually interview people. And you see their jaws drop, you know, so and this is not, you know, I think we're kind of veering off towards criticizing young people. And this is not where I want to go. And we don't want to do that. But it is interesting, like going back to what you're saying there about the softer skills. They're so technically proficient, incredibly talented. They think totally differently than just the generation above them. Is that better? Is that worse? Well, yeah, there's there's goods and there's bads. But there's one thing for certain, if you're doing one thing all of the time, and many young people are spending hours and hours and hours on the internet in some way, shape or form, well, then you're not doing another thing. And if you're not socializing, for example, eye to eye all of the time or regularly or spending time um, joining clubs or communities or whatever in real life, you're not sharpening your social skills. And these are the things that are really needed when it comes to leadership when it comes to decision-making. And when something big happens then with regard to making the right decision and having people around you that depend on you and that expect a, a leadership example. And I'm not, I'm not just talking about, you know, being a president of a country or the president of a company or a CEO or anything like that. Break it down into families, be, be it the, the, the next generation's father or mother or the next generation's um, leader of a team or whatever else. So, if people are practicing these skills, human beings, and we can we can all attest to, for example, the last two or three years with regard to COVID, perhaps not socializing enough or being around people or being put into real world scenarios where you have to make a split second decision. And these things happen every day. But if we don't do them with people in our face, we're losing the skills and we're losing the ability then to make the correct judgment regularly. Yeah. And I certainly don't want to come across as like overly criticizing young people. They are so much better at things, yeah. certain things than many, you know, adults that I know, but it's all about like trying to make someone well-rounded, right? Where you're like, yeah, if you can make split second decisions and gain information on the fly, that's great. But if you can't do it when there's, you know, people staring at you, now there's a problem because you had a great skill and it broke down midway because it wasn't like polished. Well, absolutely. Um, and, you know, to your point, it's all about finding people in this world, be it in our generation, as we spend this time on this earth versus the last generation and the people dead and gone and the next generation that's to come, that's yet to be born. I mean, where are we going with humanity? That's the deeper question. I think what we're, we're getting towards here is that we all want to be a piece in the jigsaw to make the world a better place with regard to how we do things. And the way we do things, like you said, is to have a more balanced approach to decision-making, to uh, leadership, to uh, doing or looking at foreseeing and predicting and planning for things in the future so that people around us can kind of like see the light of us, see the energy of us that's doing the right thing and the decision-making process. And so that we can all become more sophisticated because the question is, is the world more sophisticated now than what it was, say, 100 years ago? And again, you can have pros and cons to that. But certainly, like you said a couple of questions ago, there definitely is problems with this internet. For example, we have the dark web, as we know. And so, and the speed of things, the way things happen so quickly, and what I touched on before with regard to rewiring uh, is that people 
there's you know a chemical in your brain, dopamine, and once you click a button and you get a, a prize, for example, as we know with slot machines, if you pull the slots and you see all the, the fruits aligning up the three fruits, well, that's good. You know, if you get a three dollar signs or whatever, that's good too. So we love that kind of scrolling sensation, uh, and our eyes are tuned to that, and that's of course what happens with online be it dating or Facebook or Instagram, you're scrolling for the very next dopamine hit. And if we get one every two or three seconds, well, then we're rewiring our brain. And so therefore we don't plan for the future. So it's difficult for me to think then of what could happen in five years time, what could happen in 10 years time, and therefore how I should adapt. And that's that word adaptability again, if something happened hypothetically, or what, you know, if, um, the realistic chain of events, if we put them together, if three or four intelligent people sit down and talk about things, well, then this is more likely to happen than that. And so we need to be able to kind of get out of this feeling of this dopamine buzz that we're constantly in, in order to sit back, pull back and start going, well, I need to be more balanced in my thinking so that I can plan for things, approach things in a different way as well. Yeah. Do you see like a best path forward? When you're like, look, you've got to be adaptable, you've got to be resilient, you've got to, you know, develop all these skills. Do you have like a recommendation that you generally give people where you're like, this is the thing to do, just start here? Yeah, well, I think you can't be like, I've got programs, I've had programs, courses, and so on. These are fantastic. I'm not just saying my ones, but, you know, anybody that has programs or, or online courses or anything, these things are fantastic. Books are fantastic. But if you work one-to-one -one with an expert, for example, you're going to get straight away, they're going to get you with regard to where you're at right now. So like you said, are you balanced? How much time are you spending doing this? How much time are you away from doing that? And so you can then begin to see what kind of like a, a food diary or food chart. You can be see, begin to see why a person's diet is in a certain way. If they think a certain way, if they're getting the results be it of their job, of their relationship, of their health, for example. Like if we take a statistic, which is frightening nowadays, that 95% of the health conditions out there are coming from lifestyle issues that we ourselves are creating, the choice of foods, the choice of what we intake into not just our diet, but with regard to mentally, like the things we're looking at online or on TV or um, how we spend our uh, time be it gaming or whatever else. And all of these have effects on ourselves and replicate with regard to our thinking. So I think if you work with somebody and allow them to, you know, open up your faults and, you know, where you could improve and stuff, that's where you're going to get not just a leveling off or balancing, but I think that's where people can definitely improve because most people won't do that. No matter what, you get people that will go out there and they'll work with 10 different people. You know, they get the bits and pieces from one person and then they'll go ahead and they'll get the bits and pieces of improvement for another person after that and so on. And then there'll be people that won't do that. And so, you know, the best athletes out there, the best musicians, the best CEOs, the best of all of these great occupations in this world, essentially the best potential leaders, they're doing the best things and they're getting the best people in the corner and they're continuing to improve and continuing to look for that little bit, that little inch that gets them ahead. And even if they're just inching ahead one person by one person or by each person they work with, they're learning, they're sharpening. And that inch is going further. Like a top, top class athlete, for example, they are, as we know, in the 100 meters in the Olympics, they only need to be a split second ahead of the next person. Look at Usain Bolt. How many did he win? He won lots. You know, he was fantastic. But he didn't win by like five seconds in each race. And so you just need to be that little bit ahead. And to once you're there, you're improving all of the time you're learning. So it's really a mindset about realizing and going back to the school thing. Again, as we all know, when we hit 17 or so, it's like, oh, you know, let's burn the books. Yeah, let's just get rid of all the, the notes and stuff. I'm done. But no, your learning is only beginning at that stage. Yeah, I mean, the whole thing kind of reminds me of an extremely old practice that we have done for a very long time and doesn't seem to be going anywhere, which is like an apprenticeship. Like if you study under someone who is very, very good at whatever you're trying to learn, like it's just going to be faster than if you tried to like pick it up on your own 
or even just like watch somebody do it online, like you'll pick up the basic skills those way that way. But if you actually like spend the time to study under someone that knows exactly what they're doing, like they're going to also teach you faster. Well, absolutely. And it's funny, again, the words education, we were talking a lot about that. A guy called Socrates, you know, a lot of uh, education came through this guy. And these are the great philosophers. There's others back then, but they had, they studied under apprentices. They were apprentices, sorry, of people that were more mature in their thinking or had gone down the path before them. Nowadays, we often call it coaching or mentoring. But whatever term you use, it is that human connection. And going back to what you were suggesting or wondering about before, is that no matter how much technology we have, and if we look at, say, the last 20 years, and the development of not just the technology, but the internet and the speeds of all of these things, it's incredible. I mean, how much more information do we as human beings need? Like, how much more? I mean, the education is almost free, like you said. You can just Google or YouTube it. But yet we don't have the best, you know, not everybody's a skilled carpenter. Not everyone's a quiz a DIY. Not everybody. In fact, probably less people are than before. So it's not more so the knowledge, it's the ability to learn and the ability to be open enough to be shown. And some of that comes from, of course, communication skills, like we we're saying before, the soft skills. And to even be able to relate to an older person, like when I was younger, there was a thing called respect your elders. That was number one. That was, you know, you always respected your elders. And okay, it could have been abused by elders, but you never questioned it. It's almost like the flip side nowadays. So are we kind of transversing to a different way in the last 20 odd years of the internet in real life? Is it becoming kind of flipped? And if it is, well, then we need to get back on to a more balanced keel. We certainly do. And I think you're right when you say like, are people better for having all this access? No, they're probably, you know, broadly worse at things. And I think that's because like, as fast as we can learn things, we're also just shortening that attention span, that like will to learn things long term, where it's like, cool, I figured this out, moving on to the next thing. So you don't you don't even put enough hands on time to become good at it. But you're like, no, I totally learned it. Like I, I wired my own light bulb in my bathroom. So now I'm an electrician. And they're like, well, hold on, because you don't know any of the rest of those skills. Like you figured out how to wire a light bulb. That does not make you an electrician, but they're like, no, I got it. I figured out the wiring. I'm moving on to the next skill. I think I'm going to work on my car. And you're like, okay, all right, hold on. <laughs> A lot of dangerous skills we're picking up suddenly. Well, that's it. And if we look at human relationships, the way we're relating to people with that kind of mentality, like you just described there, insofar as it's like, um, if I can learn one skill and I know how to text, for example, that means the words I use in that text can be used in real life. But no, not necessarily. Because, for example, with body language, most communication in real world. So, for example, if a person is listening and they want to or have to go to a job interview or they want and we all want more money, they want to promotion. At some stage, they will have to do an interview or their boss or their superiors are watching them. And as they interact with them, they're judging them in a kind of interview manner. But either way, it's more the subconscious thinking and the most subconscious energy that's going on. And so even if you, you, know, you wear a nice shirt or a suit or whatever else, and you do your hair and all of that and makeup, it's not necessarily the first thing over time a person or the thing over time a person will actually realize about you because it's your behavior over time as human beings that they will be more attuned to. Like, how do you react to certain situations? How do you lead in certain scenarios and so on, rather than actually, oh, yeah, that person dresses well all of the time. But that's not the number one job you know, prerequisite if it's a promotion or whatever else, a job interview. And so it's really important to, and, and it goes, it starts and begins and ends with ourselves, to look into ourselves and to be able to go, well, what am I not good at? Can, do I have the ability to upskill there? Or do I have the ability to, uh, go further, faster, stronger? Should I be getting up earlier? You know, simple things that even the last couple of years, a lot of people have fallen out of habits 
And look, it's it wasn't their fault. You know, the whole pandemic was nobody's fault. The general population wasn't their fault. But it certainly is our intention now. We need to push ourselves further and faster to get out there and to get socialized and to be able to upskill and to be able to kind of fast forward a little bit now as well. Yeah, it very much makes me think, you know, are we with the way that we push ourselves, not necessarily to be better, but just to like, you know, stay on this level grind. Are we kind of our own worst dream killers where it's like the things we are doing are really what's holding us back. Yeah. I mean, if you think, remember that great movie, Tom Hanks, which one? I mean, he was in so many, the one uh, when he's on the Island. Um, So I think it was far away, wasn't it? Or away. Yeah. Castaway, that's one, yeah. So he's on the island and he's there for, I don't know, months. And he never loses hope. And he's an intelligent guy. He has a big uh, position in his company. And he becomes humble being on the island, changes. And that's, it's kind of a funny scene at the end. I won't give away the ending. But essentially he has a, he has a, a best friend or a made up, an imaginary friend of a, a volleyball. It was one of the, the products that fell off the plane when they crashed. And that was his only way of communication so the point being is that like the thread of just communicating and trying to acknowledge a person's presence i mean this was a volleyball and he gave the volleyball time to respond these things are so fundamental to us and so we need to just grasp them cherish them grow them and grow our skills and if you can do that with one person you're going to learn and adapt and push yourself then in front of other types of people. It's like this interview. I mean, you're famous. You're the best podcaster out there. <laughs> Would I have been able to do this had I not done other podcasts? Well, I'd probably kind of go, well, this is too much for me. So I have to train. I have to learn. I have to figure it out. Sure. Yeah. It's a lot of like practice. And I think something else that scares people, which is trial and error, mm. you know, like sometimes you're going to trip and fall along the way. And if you're so scared that you will fail once, you'll never succeed. And, you know, that's who cares? You know, who cares? And, okay, online, if you've lost or you had the worst game or um, the cameras were on you, if it was live, the funny thing is, like you said earlier on, people have very short concentration spans. And so what happens then is their memories believe it or not, are shortening in regards to that. Imagine in about 15 years' time, 50% of over 80s, and we are generally living longer, 50% of over 80s are going to have some sort of memory disorder with regard to dementia or or, uh, Alzheimer's. So when you think of that, it means, and there's research out there to show that even people of, say, 40, if you do the brain imaging on them, you can begin to see the beginning of this problem that is going to happen in 30 or 40 years time for them, which is fascinating. So again, if we looked at our bodies to simplify it, and we saw maybe you're putting on a pound extra weight at 20, you know, there's not much of a difference between two 20 rows, one is a pound heavier, so what? But if you begin to see that, you know, the next two or three years in their early 20s and they're putting on maybe another pound and another pound and suddenly there's five pounds between two people maybe twins even or two people that ate a similar diet or grew up in the same neighborhood or did the same exercise or whatever again it's not huge but if you then fast forward 30 40 50 years and you realize oh look at the photographs look you were always a little bit kind of chubbier than me so that's what's coming out now in the research they can begin to see the brain and how it's changing and developing. And like I said, even in the conversation we've had so far with regard to how people get excited when they're on their phones, they can wire them up and see where the the energy is being like rushed and the blood is being rushed to in the brain and where the actual functional part of the brain is working the most. And so we also have kind of brain waves and different brain waves and obviously when we sleep versus when we're awake are very, very different. And they begin to see that there's like almost a hyper beta thinking going on where it's like our brain is in the working mode 
And when we're constantly sinking and spiraling and, you know, uh, watching a screen laid on at night, be it a computer if you're working or a phone or something like that, it's not good for us in the short or long term. Yeah. Do you have like best practices when you see people, you know, I assume they come to you and they're struggling for one reason or another is you're like, okay, these are the first things you've got to cut, like just cut them entirely. Well, yeah, you can cut certain things like, for example, put down the phone for X amount of hours per day. But like, that's like saying to an addict, you know, or somebody that's smoking a lot, you know, stop smoking 10 a day. I mean, so it's more like, what can we concentrate on doing, right? So let's begin to rewind back. Let's just, you know, let yourself go with the phone. Okay, fine for now. So let's start visualizing. Let's start uh, looking at breaking down cognitively what's happening here. Uh, let's look at your habits. Let's rewind back from why or not the five hours a day or 10 hours a day extra that you spend on the phone or something like that. I'm just using this as an example. But if that was a thing where it was stopping a person's relationships or making them not concentrate, for example, when they're playing a sport, well, then we have to realize, well, what triggers you, first off, to pick up the phone in the first place? And so if we can begin to see the trigger and get into the nitty gritty of the thought process, we can begin to see, well, what the emotion is that's pushing you to, you know, snatch at that phone or grab the phone when you're at a bus stop or uh, when you're walking up the road or something like that. Because these are times when our brains, like it's only two or three minutes, maybe at the bus stop or two or three minutes walking up the road. But these are golden times for a brain to be able to just chill out, to be able to kind of like um, level itself off, balance itself off. Like you're walking down the street, you, you know, you see, um, birds fly in the sky or you see the clouds changing or whatever else you're looking through the, the wind through the trees these things are what's needed and so this is the balance that they're giving for all the hours that we're spending online and we're robbing ourselves of these natural things and if we add them all up like two three minutes here waiting at the bus two three minutes coming off the bus walking down the street for like two or three hundred yards and so on these all add up and like suddenly you might have an hour two hours a day where your brain has little breaks and sporadic breaks. And that's where you get your innovative ideas from as well. Like when I was younger, looking out the window at school, it was like, and the teacher would call and say, hey, come on, concentrate. But actually the research has come out where it's actually better. Let that person just chill out. Let them just be spaced out as we used to call it. Let them actually realize that maybe they're coming up with something genius here. Maybe they're actually imagining. And that's the brain of imagination we're being told by, say, for example, screens and television and unbelievable special effects, acting and so on, music. You know, this is, you know, intake this, surrender to this and enjoy this. Cool. Fantastic. We all love a great movie. But we need to actually power ourselves to, like going back to visualizing, power ourselves to imagine. And visualization is just a, like a quadrant or a facet, really, of imagining that you're actually physically there doing something and how you feel and how you think and how you react to it in the moment. So if we go to say high class sport, what happens in a split second in sport comes and goes very, very quickly. If you're a new player and you're at the top end of the league or whatever else, and you know, you're expecting this big game, you've never played in front of a, a, a crowd. You have to factor in all those different elements and you have to recreate it in your mind's eye in order to facilitate you being mentally prepared for when this comes in the in the first place. And that's where experience comes from when, you know, again, a person has played in this 10, 20 times, they know what to expect. Generally, this goes to plan if they do certain things and think certain ways, and therefore they're more uh, prepared mentally for performances. Um, so essentially we need to have the power within ourselves to create our own thinking. That certainly feels... You know, like you, you look at things and you're like, okay, this experience that say like the athlete has coming into the large game, the expert athlete has been in front of these people before, like exposure to large crowds doesn't even bother them anymore. And in fact, maybe it fuels them like seeing all these people. They're like, yeah, they're here to watch me right now. Like I'm showing off. I get to do, you know, like all of the, the best that I can do because I get to see all these people watch me, whereas other people look at it and they don't have that 
experience and they're worried that every single person is judging them or you know something like that like that's a lot of just reframing going on yeah and reframing is a, actually a technique as well where we need to reframe our thoughts and our thinking and some of that can come from not the visual but from the language so again whether you're an athlete or whether you're 20 or 40 or whatever else and you're listening you're watching this and be it you want to improve in your job or you want to improve in your relationship or your health or your performance in some way, how and the things we've been told and how we perceive them, the words that make up the sentences, that make up the paragraphs, that make up the story of other people's uh, communication towards us, how we reframe those words and those things, the sentence even or something somebody said to us is really important. And we can do this, even though the person maybe, for example, really insulted us and put us down. We can reframe that in our memory because no two memories are the same. And so if you have, for example, a discussion with somebody that's qualified and you reframe it in a certain way, reframe even the memory or you know, pick it apart a little bit and see exactly where it happened sequentially, A, B, and C. This was said, this was the reaction. And this is the action I took afterwards. And you begin to realize, well, how did you feel? And where did the feeling come from? Where did the anger or the upset come from? Because then it's, you know, if you can find out the nitty gritty and go into that, dissect it that much, you can realize how you've reacted and your actions have been in your outcomes in the last say, few years or even since you were a child. And this then feeds into your subconscious thinking. So again, going back to what you're saying, the athlete or the person under pressure, with regard to their decision-making, you know, it could be the leader of the uh, business or whatever else, their decision-making under pressure when they feel or perceive pressure can be subconsciously inbuilt. So they're not consciously thinking about this situation right now to make the right decision for me or for the people around me or whatever else. And so that's often when people, you know, 10, 20 years time, they have regrets, something, and they go, I knew I could do that. I knew I could score. I knew I could make that pass. I've done it a thousand times. And I knew, you know, I should have said that to that person. I should have made that decision at that time because consequently things would be different had I done that. Why did I not do that? I just regret those things. And so it's really important to figure out the words that we've been told, reframe them, and then use that for ourselves going forward to our advantage. Is there, like, can I reframe my regrets? to you know regret them less i think sure is something that's I mean, what i'd want <laughs> yeah exactly so i mean you can you can tell yourself whatever i mean if we look at mental health issues or genuine mental health illness it's created by the person's mind in the first place so even though they're for example we're a very healthy five-year-old or 10-year-old in school and doing all the things a normal school child does why are they very mentally ill at 20 or 30 so there's something going on in their processing in between their ears that allows them to be very ill or start becomes, for example, has paranoia schizophrenia. It has to come initially from somebody uh, in the first place. Yes, it can be genetically pushed forward. And definitely, of course, if a person is living, for example, with a parent that has that unfortunate illness, but it has to come in some regard and it's propelled certainly by the thinking. Now, if we flip that around to the high performance area, if you are on the level and you're all good and no mental health issues, but you need to get to the higher level, you know, physically I'm, you know, I'm a super athlete, but I, I just haven't played at that level yet. I just haven't, you know, so you can reframe that and say, well, okay, high school, I didn't go so well, had a couple of air balls as a basketball player or whatever else. I can reframe it before I go to the NBA and start thinking in a different pattern. And so I don't want to have the feeling because a regret is just going to give you this feeling of, ah, oh, you know, it's like, why did I, you know, why, you know, and who are you most angry with yourself? Nobody else. And so if we can use the experience and that's the thing, everybody has experience. If you're only 18 listening to this, watching it, 25, whatever, you still have experiences from other areas of your life, be it your relationships, your health, your lack of health, your job, your schooling, whatever else, your family. 
you can use that experience and that feeling, like you said, regret. There's always regrets in some regard. And then flip it around so you don't have any big regrets when you get older, because that, I think, is a big, big fear. Yeah, it certainly is. I mean, no one wants to to kind of reach the end, so to speak, and just look back and think like, wow, look at all the things I didn't do or that I did wrong. That's not where you want to be focused. No, you'd imagine so that, you know, when we get to the time, hopefully when we're all older and uh, immobile and, you know, I often, you know, that movie, uh, Benjamin Button, and it's uh, it's so thought provoking that when you get to that age that you want to be able to kind of go, well, hold on a second. Have I done the best with my ability when I could uh, walk further, when I could run, when I could uh, drive further, when I could travel, when I could do all of these things, when I could think clearly, when I could make decisions, when I could lead, when I could whatever else, that you have done it to your utmost. And then you end up where you end up. But regrets, what a snag. Well, I think this has been great. And we've got a lot that people need to reflect on and you know, go back, listen, maybe even take notes along the way. Um, I've appreciated it greatly having you on the show. I was hoping to give you some time to kind of plug where people can find you and the things you do. Yeah, my website is doc, D-O-C-C-O-N-O-R. So there's two seats, docconnor.com. And um, my book is The Gym Upstairs. You can get it on Amazon soon. And um, yeah, I'm just delighted and thank you, uh, Colton, for having me. It's been a great time to have this conversation and hopefully all will be well with the world once uh, once we, we get out there and we converse in the future and uh, see each other in real life. Of course, yeah, soon, hopefully. And if people pick up your book on Amazon or on Barnes & Noble or wherever it gets listed, big important plug, I always remind people, leave a five-star review because it helps your authors grow. That would be great. Thank you. Yes. <laughs> of course. Thank you again for being on the show. I appreciate it. It's been a pleasure. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Just Dumb Enough podcast. I hope you've enjoyed it. Please take a brief moment to rate the show five stars on iTunes, Spotify, or Audible if you haven't yet. The only way to help the show grow is to get new listeners, so do your part to tell people that you enjoy this podcast. I'm also always looking for new topics, guest ideas, or questions from the audience. To reach out to me, email dumbenoughpodcast at gmail.com. Or send a message to any of the show pages on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, or wherever else. That's all for this week. I will see you all on Monday for Halloween and a different kind of spooky episode. Bye bye <laughs>